Hello and welcome to this week's Starspawn Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. What? What? What is this? A podcast? Why are we here, Ted? What on earth could be going on? We don't do podcasts anymore. We have too many secrets. Well, usually we, we do it when we want to sell people stuff. I, I think that's what it looks like. I, I look back and I think we've done like four of them since October of 2020. And a couple of them were, were salesy things where we're like, hey, we've got this new stuff. And then another one was explaining the new expected goals model, which was actually really cool and deserved to have its own space. So uh, what are we selling today? Nothing. Just just the dream. Selling the, the dream. dream the, his- <laughs> the history, the life of what is now the 10th anniversary of Statsbomb. Uh has it gone by We're yet? selling a I birthday. Uh, I actually think of it as the first week of July, but okay. we've, we've decided to make this a month-long thing. It's, it's grown up. It's like, you know, a 10th anniversary for a website and a, and a startup sort of space in the modern era. That's like, you know, we'll, we'll count it as a 50th. That feels feels about right. <laughs> so what you're saying is we're old. I think we all feel in that. Oh, James, so old. <laughs> I am. My my joints are feeling it anyway. Yeah. So so okay. since the last time we talked, James's body is completely broken down, and my body actually is in great shape. So there we are. We, we swapped yeah. roles. You're Mr. Fitness, and I've got bad knees. But whatever, it's okay. Uh, so what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about uh, like basically history of stats bomb, uh, as is where we got to, where we started, uh, what's happened, various points to hit on, uh, and then you know to talk about couple of things that are coming as part of this celebratory i guess it's a month of things Satsbomb historically has given out uh gifts to the world because uh, it was just nice like that and there's be more of that coming um obviously this is mainly the tech news and show as ever nothing changes there. so the, the funny head. thing is uh <laughs> there are two podcasts scheduled one of which is this podcast and the second one is very clearly the james york show so disagree about this but that's fine we should actually yeah you should actually you want to talk movies again don't you? If yeah we're, we're gonna make james watch a, a horrible transformers movie of which he has never watched any uh he might be familiar with the toys so uh maybe next week or the week after we'll have a a movie-based podcast which is purely fan service for the people who love the james york sort of grumpy f- grumpy gruff people in the world reviews of uh cultural cinema I'm not convinced there are more than about four people in the world appreciate that. That's fine. Simon, we'll take requests our as chief well. marketing officer appreciates it, and that's enough to make us do these things once every year. <laughs> a couple of white guys in their forties doing some navel gazing. Uh, what a concept! That that is literally like the definition of podcast, except for it's white guys from you know age fifteen to fifty. So, <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, let's get let's go on with the thing. So basically, way back in the mist of time, in the the summer, the sultry summer, was it sultry? I don't know, of 2013, there was a man named Ted Knutson, and he had a vision of the future, a vision of the world. And it was like, what can I do? What can we do? What can the community do? I'm going to start a website. Yeah. And so. Such, such a vision. Wow. <laughs> and so at that point, uh, Statsbomb became real. And I, from, I, can, I wasn't part of this, but I remember it landing over because a lot of early football analytics existed on Twitter. And I remember somehow it landed the first early Statsbomb post landing on my, uh, on my kind of Twitter feed and thinking like, this is exactly what I'm interested in. Just like stats and football. This is, this is good. There isn't enough of this. And it, there wasn't in those days. It was a really niche thing. And, you know, people complain about how much stats in football and what it's being, they're being bludgeoned over the head with it these days. It wasn't always like that. And uh, so let's go back to the very early days 
Like, who, what, and why? Like, wh- where do we where do we get to this? Where did you get to this? Uh, I think following some of Pugs- Benjamin Pugsley's work was um, there. Like, so I was in the space because I needed to follow it for gambling purposes. For those who don't know, uh, used to be a professional sports better for a while, and then helped turn around a company called Pinnacle Sports, which is now just Pinnacle, uh, starting in 2017 to 2014, uh, or 2007 to 2014. And so I was there for about eight years, and Twitter was a great way to get information about teams and, and whatever, and I was interested in the modeling side of it because of gambling modeling. And so I was on there uh, for, for a long time, and I would read people's stuff, and I had sort of a long history in doing this in the gambling space, um, very quietly, as you do in the gambling space. And so I started following people that seemed pretty smart. Uh, so I was paying attention to this. The reason why the website, um, you know, sort of, the reason why I started writing was because I had testicular cancer. Uh, I was diagnosed with that in late 2012. I had surgery around Thanksgiving, although we don't have that in the UK. Um, and then I was uh, I was on sort of medical leave while that was going on, uh, and I had chemo I think on January third of twenty thirteen, which is about the same time that I started writing about football stats. And I needed a place to publish stuff, and there was this website called Bitter and Blue that was a, a Man City uh, community I think on SB Nation, um, and it was run by Danny Pugsley or sort of overseen. He was one of the the mods. And Ben put his stuff there. So I was like following this space and people like Mark Taylor were publishing things, um, Simon Gleave, uh, James Grayson, um, Chris Anderson had some things occasionally. Oh, I think he was already doing work. Uh, we didn't know about Sarah Rudd and Robbie Rem and any stuff because they, <laughs> not only did they, they published quietly, but then they like stopped publishing anything because they worked inside of Arsenal or Robbie was working for Seattle Sounders. Um, and then they eventually deleted their, their website. So we couldn't go back and read their stuff. So you couldn't give them cr- proper credit. Uh, Michael Cayley was poking around doing stuff on the Tottenham, uh, cause it college free captain as well. I think around then as Cayley well. was, uh, Graham McCary was another guy that had done stuff quite early on and then not done as much. Uh, he ended up being a developer and things, but he did things in the Chelsea space. So there a lot of people that were doing stuff, um, but pretty disjointed and it was hard to find. And I was like, look, I want to be able to, to broadcast this and centralize it a little bit, but really I need a place to publish my own stuff that's not about Manchester City because that was always a weird fit. Um, and then to try and encourage other people to do so as well. So that's why Statsbomb was originally founded um, sort of out of a, a trauma response to uh, testicular cancer and, uh, and needing to desperately do new things. And there was some wild energy in those early days. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, it, the amount of articles you, particularly you and Colin, because Colin came on, Colin Trainer came on quite early, didn't he? And you know, was obviously keen and had loads of ideas. But you two used to put out like I don't know four or five articles a week, and even if they were just like scratchy short ideas of just like, oh, this is what I've been looking at, you know, today, yesterday, all the way up to like quite in-depth stuff. But they were so much of it, and I, th- I think that was at least that was one of the reasons why like Statsbomb as a blog took hold was there was just a lot of work a lot of energy it was a real hub and it was you know it kind of grew quite quickly and it always pulled in like various uh you know we'll get on to later areas in a bit but always pulled in various other other writers to kind of contribute as well and I guess my question of beyond that is like at that point like where, where did you see this going did you did you have any broader vision for like the future or was it just like, hey, this is just what I like doing right now. I'm going to do it a lot and 
well, let's just see. I, it was very much um, a new kind of hobby obsession. And I don't know if you've, you've had things where you're like, look, I'm going to learn as much about this as I can. I'm going to yeah. jump in with both feet. I'm going to find people who are like-minded about it. Uh, yeah, I do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and it's fun, right? And you're doing a new thing. And, yep. and, and at that point, I was only a moderately old dog as opposed to like a, a grizzly old dog now. Um, but I could still learn new tricks. And it was fun. And it was about football. And it had some overlap with my gambling job as well. So one of the things that I was doing was I was just really, really exploring a space that... And, and, and you never get to explore something that other people haven't really touched much. And this felt like that. You're like, this is like, you know, powder snow where you're going to get to ski down at the first time and cut your own tracks. And that's what I did. And, and actually that's what other people did too. It wasn't just me. It was, you know, Ben had some, some really cool early stuff on like age curves and he was also prolific on the site <clears throat> and, and Colin. And then you had like some people that were you know, sort of much more technical and thinky, like, uh, like Merrick Kwiatkowski, uh, who eventually helped me sort of, start aggregating the data to be able to do more things faster. Uh, he was a longtime collaborator of mine, worked with me at, uh, at Brentford and Michelin as well. And, and generally one of my, my favorite collaborators that I've had, I've been lucky to have a number of really intelligent people that have enhanced my own work. Uh, but a lot in those early days, it was just me <laughs> doing my own thing figuring out what I wanted to write about today. And a lot of the early stuff was, you know, it was sexy because I was tucking into transfer ideas, because I was player shopping, because I was sort of suggesting players that might be interesting to other people that were not in the mainstream media, weren't, weren't even considered like possibilities. I'm like, well, this guy over here actually has some interesting stats and let's explore that. And let's explore this particular stat. Like, does that seem to have an impact on future production? Um, and that was true for a lot of stuff. And so those early explorations, which was largely around attackers in that first summer, um, still actually hold, held up really well. Like you're looking at what are the, the key indicators for you know, guys who were unknown at the time that would become sort of future stars in a lot of different cases uh, or future large transfers that unfortunately blew up because of injury issues or whatever. Where did radars come in? Because I, 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 I spoke to uh, Colin about part of, this, you know, part of this kind of process of you know, commemorating the past and such. And... Uh, it's because so much of so much of this world was powered by Twitter, early Twitter those days, and then obviously when Twitter became more more visual, it didn't used to be, and like stuff like radars just absolutely popped, didn't they? Over over, over Twitter, people retweet them, people like them, people engage them. They were colourful, they were interesting, they were controversial, mm-hmm. uh, and that that will never end. But that's fine. But yeah, that that probably get. I'm wondering what what kind of like what kind of power the popularity maybe it's just like an untapped audience people did want to read this stuff but i think yeah Ray, radars kind of like came along and were, were definitely a contributory factor towards the popularity of people liking this shit january of 2014 was when i published the first one uh oh. i had seen an nba all-star poster by a designer named rami mo that had done radars and, and basically similar to the style that you see now. Uh, he did it for like different stats for all stars on, on each, each NBA team. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool idea. I'd like to adapt that to the space of soccer slash football. And, but then like, there was another sort of ongoing story where like Ben used to give me a really hard time about never having anything visual in my articles ever, 
ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, like, this is Ben. He, he had bar charts and, like, some line graphs. So <laughs> it's not much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, no, I just like to live in, in the numbers world. Like, I'm very comfortable with database access. And so, like, that was, that was me. And I dumped, like, little, little sets of charts trying not to get in trouble with Opta for publishing much data. Um, and at some point, I was like, you know what? I think Ben's right. Uh, and I do listen to other people, even if it doesn't seem like I do. Um, and so like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go and I'm going to study this. And, and one of the amazing things about modern day is that you can go with some textbooks and people's like internet posts, or you can go to courses that are online and you could basically get a college level education just by yourself from doing things online. So I bought uh, Alberto Cairo's book. I bought Stephen Few, a couple of those. I bought Tufta, um, and I read them like, you know, cover to cover and looked at the different sort of concepts around it. And much like I think the, the stat space in, in soccer, I, I say soccer cause we have an American football product now, but in stat space in, in football, soccer was, um, <clears throat> untapped the data visualization space was also still like very nascent and and to some extent might even be like Andy Kirk is another one that was in those early, early years. And so uh, I was like, well, I can explore this. And actually some of the complaints that people have about these different visual styles, like I think I'm smart enough to, to solve some of these things with enough thought, with enough, you know, conceptual experimentation around it. And so I taught myself, and then I went to Nat James, uh, who has a, I think he, he ended up with like a master's in physics and graphic design at university. <laughs> and he's incredibly smart. And he's um, one of our lead developers at Statsbomb. But at that time, he was just a friend. And I said, Nat, can you help me out? Because I'm really dumb. Uh, can you build me like a, um, effectively a template on Photoshop or a different, uh, I think it was GIMP at the time. So the free version. Uh, that I can now work with and be able to produce these things on my own. And so he did. And then I learned the very hard way and it was fucking brutal. Like it would take me 10 to 15 minutes to do a single radar, right? And like you think of- Can you, <laughs> can you remember the first one that you did? Or the first one that- I think it was probably Messi and Cristiano. I think yeah, Ronaldo. Uh, the, the first post was was the top three players in the Ballon d'Or. And it was Messi, Ronaldo yeah, yeah. and uh, Frank Ribéry. And I wanted, I knew they were different types of players. So like, let's sort of put them on the thing. And one of the problems with the first post uh, or the first radars is that in that particular season, this was 2000, like January, 2014. So the season before Messi was, was like out of this world and Cristiano Ronaldo had like seven shots per 90. (laughs) And so if you plotted like normal dudes on this and you use their, their bits as the, as the outside of the, the rings for the radars, like any sort of average player looked like they were horrible compared to these two players, especially during those particular seasons. So, um, yeah, that was when the, the ideas of like, how do I normalize this a little bit so that players who are average look at least average on the, on the visualization. And it was a lot of experiment and feedback and, and iteration and testing, uh, turning the, <clears throat> sometimes you invert the stats to say that, you know, this thing, if there's less of it, that's good. Uh, and then if there's more of it, then that goes towards the inside of the radar. That's bad. So anyway, there, there were lots of design things I've written. I don't know, just literally tens of thousands of words about the design choices and the statistical choices around the radars. But you're absolutely right. Going back to your original point, uh, Twitter becoming more visual and then the audience seeing these and having like real feelings about it and feeling like they could encompass the types and styles of different players. And you could learn information off of them very quickly. 
meant that these took off in a way that almost nothing else did. And they've been kind of iconic in the growth of the website and then particularly in the company as it has gone on. It's funny because there's been a little bit of little, little bit of dialogue around the place recently about like, you know, like who came first with a variety of X, Y, Z. And I think like someone noted, someone noted that there were radars in like a, what was it, a Pro Evo, like 2006 or 2003, like, yeah. I think was the first version that was I it? found. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and there's just, I, yeah, there's, it's funny. There's, there's nothing new in this game, you know, closing down and pressing and all that kind of thing, which came first. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, um, it's, yeah, the, the popularization of things versus who did things first is, is an interesting kind of topic. We won't linger on that. That's fine. Well, I think, I think <laughs> Kaylee actually deserves a lot of credit for the early sort of shop map stuff. He created a, a format of shop yeah, maps yeah. for on a game by game basis. Um, 11, Tegan 11 or Sander Isma like copied everybody's different work and, and sort of <laughs> put different styles out there along the way. So those two were um, sort of critical in popularizing a lot of things. Uh, but then, you know, the early roots, I'm sure go back much earlier than me, much like when we talked about expected goals, you know, 1997 and 2000-something, and uh, Reap and, and, and Richard Pollard were publishing stuff on unexpected goals. And, and that's actually been cataloged in, in Ryan O'Hanlon's book, uh, which you should read because I think it's quite a, a good, interesting history of a lot of the, the people that were in this space. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we're here to talk about Starsport mainly today, but like the, the broader history of it all is quite interesting and quite diverse. And quite, well, one of, you know, one of the things that we've... People popping up in different areas. One of the remits of the website was to give credit to other people. Like, you could build off of these ideas, but I always wanted to make sure that we maintain the credit for the original people. And, and so we've done design diaries over time, and I think the... The sonar slash wagon wheels one was was probably one of the more detailed ones we did where it wasn't ours. Um, I think Howard Howard Hamilton did one of the earliest ones that I had seen, which was, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, then Elliot McKinley, whose work is consistently great over on American Soccer Analysis, um, did the, the sonars on a more broad basis. But they could go back into cricket, right? That's kind of where the cricket wagon wheels went. But we have tried... Mm -hmm to be very collegiate and university in that way of saying, hey, here's credit where it's due from these people who were early pioneers. We're not stealing their work. We're just trying to build on it. And I think that that is the way that I hope the community would work. And for the most part, at least in the, in the early space, it certainly did. Do you want to talk about Opta? Uh, you might need to guide me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah, I was thinking all the early, the, the early years, it's, it's, it's an interesting balance because the early years, like data was a, a, accessible via the internet uh, from very, like, I remember like copying stuff by hand myself and like, you know, rudimentarily like buildings, building things out from that all the way up to like, you know, people used to scrape things off the internet and then some people had agreements and, you know, the, the broader kind of picture of that point in hist history and, I don't know. There were a lot of benefits to that. Like uh, there was a lot of uh, essentially, like I guess the <laughs> some marketing uh, that was uh, somewhat voluntary in some ways uh, versus the kind of <laughs> the ability to actually have the data. You know, the, the, going back even further, this data either didn't exist or was not accessible whatsoever. So yeah, you know, a lot of what a lot of what kind of came out of this era was the fact that people could access it with you know, varying levels of permissions of what they could do with it. And so, yeah, that's that's the kind of point I was driving L at. Let me go ahead and tell a couple of mini stories off of this. Um, I think Moneyball came out in like 2003, 2004. I know I read it uh, at least in sort of 2005 and wanted to start doing this for soccer data. At the point that I wanted to start doing this for soccer data, I actually was in the space of professional sports betting as well. 
And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Let me see if I can find some data. And the only way that I could find anything at all, like Opta had some sort of index for players, like the, I, I can't, it might even be just the Opta Castrol index. Castrol index, maybe? Well, that was that was later. That was much later. So, okay. so there was there was an index score that they had like way back in two thousand five, like on the internet, but you couldn't find much of anything. And at that time, didn't have enough money to to pay for data, or really investigate it. But it was intriguing. Uh, so I actually spent some time collecting horrible stats for the two thousand six World Cup and realized like, how hard it was to do it by hand. And then like, oh, that's really difficult. So like, this is me in 2005, 2006, thinking about soccer stats. And I had, I'd forgotten about this for a while until a friend of mine reminded me we were traveling in Prague to a magic event. And he's like, Teddy, you were writing in, in, in sort of notebooks about this back then. I was like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> and, and so like that happened then. Then I went back to it in 2012. And I think in 2012 was sort of the first time that I ever noticed that both Squawka and Who Scored had sort of pretty broad amounts of data that was available that you could sort of copy and paste into stuff. Or if you were a bit more elite, you could hack some together some scraping. You know, it's harder to do that these days, although incredibly, like you can still do a lot of it. Um, and, and to Optus credit, like it really did help grow the space. And, and to Optus credit, they were the first people that I ever saw doing this stuff. Although Prozone, I think actually predates them. And um, so, you know, again, more, more people that were doing things in that space. And some of the people that are in Ryan's book, like Paul Power were early Prozone people. Um, so the people in actually football space, including Manchester City were early Prozone people as well. So that, that's, yeah, that's the Prozone's interesting point because I remember being frustrated back in this era. Like Prozone, Prozone was like occasionally like would would talk about things, but you could never see what they were doing. And I guess they were kind of clo- you know business to business, uh, you know supplying clubs with things. But like yeah, the the, the kind of Opta environment, especially once they started doing the forum and you know things like that, was was a little bit more open and a little bit more. Not entirely open, but like there was just more, you know, more kind of balance, bouncing off that. They they ran a blog. They they'd highlight like you know popular articles or tweet them out. And they'd occasionally you know, get like, people like, like me that. to write a, a guest post on their their yeah, yeah, yeah. space. Yeah, and you know, there's 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 people from that era that you know certainly were involved in Opta, and you know Simon Benoob now works with us as one of them. I think Simon Farrant, who was largely involved with the forum and such, and people that you know certainly kind of. They, they they probably had a choice to make at one point whether they were going to like let this let this world persist and grow or clamp down on it and I guess you know that was that was influential and it's 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 uh, an like, impressive sort of wonderful company over time and some of the people that were very early on like Rob Bateman and and Duncan Alexander super smart obviously we employ Simon he was brilliant as well um, you know even some of their early investors or founders like you know they're still in the space so you know credit where it's due. Uh, at least, you know, for most of its its time, like Opta was impressive and, and a company that people liked working with, which I think is one of the reasons why why I was being a little careful about how, how I answered that question. All right, let's move, let's move on. So basically, uh, this first era, which we should probably kind of get past soon enough, but there, there was the first time there was a podcast. There was, you know, at some point you and Ben... Pugsley were like, we should do a podcast. I'm pretty sure that Simon Unfit for Purpose was the one that badgered us the most to do a podcast. So credit credit to that longtime fan. (laughs) And that that I remember, I remember listening to this. You know, my unique experience of listening to it and then then being part of it. But I remember really liking it. I remember driving on a bus trip on Mount TD in Tenerife, and then a a new Statsbomb podcast drops, and I was like, yes, that'll get me through my bus journey. And I was dead pleased. People loved it. I remember that to this day. Yeah, it was like it was good fun. And uh, yeah, so that 
I don't know, it probably went on for about a year because, like, you know, th this is what we'll get to next. Like, it was probably about a year. It wasn't the first thing you did, was it? But it, it, it was persistent and it kind of came out. Was it weekly? It was most um, weekly if you could get around to I, it. I was going to say, we've never been good at being scheduled <laughs> at anything in the history yeah. of the world in terms of our own content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, but it was it was good and it was well liked and I kind of I kind of picked it up. I guess that yeah we can move on to like this this the second the second area is where it like starts from when you almost take a slightly different path because I started writing uh, just because I like starts and I was like I can write things like this and it was fun and eventually you got to a stage where you're like okay do you want to put stuff on the site then you got a job at Brentford which meant that like your focus was. Uh, you know, completely different, and it wasn't cool for you to work in football and be Mister. I'm sharing all the ideas I should keep for my job in the rest of the world. Yeah, However, I was. <laughs> that was like that was a really tricky balance, and I didn't tell any people I was hired by Brentford for I think quite a long time, and it was difficult. And then there was the Warbs infighting that didn't have anything to do with me, but I was sort of splash damage around it, and then I sort of ended up in. Michael Calvin's book as like some interloper that, you know, Brentford already Lemon had. Post. Yeah, Brentford already had a great analytics team. Why is this stranger here? And, uh, you know, why is he leaning on post, which is the equivalent of mooning the queen or some sort of bullshit like that when the reality and was. And he's an American. And he's an American. Yeah, yeah, yeah Oh, my God. So, so I was, <laughs> with regard to the business, I was told that I have the wrong accent to run this business. And it, it will probably never be successful in England because people won't, won't tolerate an American sort of being involved in it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that was inside of Sparnots too, you know, like I was the wrong, wrong accent, wrong person, whatever. Um, and, and so it's, it is in particularly quite challenging. Like you, the, the Clarkson element of Americans all being loud idiots is <laughs> a stereotype that, that unfortunately has a little bit of legs and, and, you know, stereotypes exist because they're not always wrong. But in this particular case, uh, we were innovating a ton of things uh, and I was watch I was leaning on goalposts in order to watch the positioning of the wall and to see what the goalkeeper could see uh, whether or not he was unsighted while we were putting walls up, which is really important if you understand the set pieces space. But hey, I ended up in Michael Calvin's book and just some fucking idiot. <laughs> no, it's cool though, because like at that point, like, you know, that, it, I remember going, I've, I've said this, because I've told this story before, maybe not on the part of the note, but like there was, a, I think it was an Opta Forum 2016 and you were working for Brentford at the time and loads of people turned up to that forum. If you look, there's pictures around on the internet, you see who's there, it's a real who's who of the, the scene in that era, of most of which have ended up working in various like uh, football clubs or sport, you know, football adjacent companies, such as Statsbomb and such, such like, and I remember every, people turn out that you, Nikos and, uh, and Marek worked with you at mm -hmm. uh, Brentford, um, but there was a real hope at, at that forum that like, you know, everyone's going to turn up and like, they're all going to turn into jobs like really quickly. And it's like, look, this is, it's happening. The, the data revolution is here and everyone's going to kind of, and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there, there, there were plenty of people that were, you know, part of this that were, um, were already working for clubs doing their own little things whatever it is but weren't kind of part of this scene that developed around the you know the internet and twitter and starts and all these kind of things and i remember people coming away from that and it was never particularly my ambition to, to work in uh, football but there were people coming away from that it was just like i don't think there's jobs they're not it's not ready yet we're not there yet yeah. 
and this was 2016 and it was almost like you know yours your job looked like a kind of like okay it's starting and then it was a, oh, i wouldn't say it was a misstep like but it, but from a, from the perception of like okay all these jobs are now the jobs that you see on a kind of weekly basis nowadays in football weren't quite there yet and clubs were still kind of jostling to understand what what data could do for them or what they would do with data and it was really interesting kind of kind of just lying in the sand and obviously you know you you spent your time at Brentford and then that came to an end very quickly whilst Ted was doing that I was kind of running the website and bringing in all sorts of writers that I spotted for out place to contribute really interesting uh, bunch of people I think you've put an article out today and um, uh, that has got a list of everyone on there and then I re- relaunched the p- podcast with Ben because I got on well with him and so like Statsbomb continued whilst you were at Brentford um, to and, credit uh, to you and to a few other people that contributed. I uh, really appreciate. I just like I just I just liked stats bombs. So I was like, okay, I you know, I I quite happily like make this carry on, and you know, it was it was it became like a bit of a kind of passionate hobby for me myself at that point. But then obviously you came like uh, you know you came out of Brentford, and you know that that is where you know there was a completely different element as to what was going on because. I think your initial ideas were just consultancy, right? Like, I can, you know, I've got a profile and I know what this this scene is. Uh, I can, you know, contribute to it. But it relatively quickly evolved, right? Yeah, it's it's like, how do we explain this in a way that that makes the most sense? Um, So I'm going to be like super honest, which I think I've always been about the site and everything like that. And it's it's gotten me into trouble from times, but like, I wouldn't be any other way. when I started Stats Bomb, I came out and I was looking for my next job and things, I could feel like Brentford was losing its energy a little bit uh, because Matthew's businesses were struggling on the other space. And I was like, look, maybe it's time for me to move on because like, if we're going to have a coach that I don't necessarily believe plays the defensive style that we want and he's there because he's a, you know, an easy manager and a good pair of hands, like that doesn't seem like we're able to move forward here. And we did, our second wave of recruitment was actually outstanding. Our first wave was a big learning experience. Um, and we did all right and we made lots of profits, but like, you know, if we'd if we'd known a little more, then we would have done it differently and we would have done it even better. Uh, and Brentford then sort of did do things better. The second wave of recruitment was like Romain Sawyers, John Egan, Daniel Bentley, Rico, um, people were like, oh, that, you know, those guys were, were hired because of Dean. Like, no, we did all the fucking research ahead of time. It was us that, that did it. And, you know, Brentford made huge profits and, and some of those guys like went on to play in the Premier League and, and helped them get promoted and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, at the, at the time I came back out and I was like, all right, what am I going to do for my next job? And I couldn't really find anything. And I was like, oh, this is going to be painful. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I also, yeah, Matthew's group, uh, built the the tools inside of their department um, on on my IP and and our designs and and our sense of like what was good in the space, but then they owned it and I had no access to any of it and that was very frustrating as well. So it was like, well, I need to have more tools like we had the radars and the shot maps and all of the above to work with the data. Uh, for my next job. And so I was like, I'm going to take some of my retirement money and, and pay a developer to develop those tools. Uh, and then I'll start doing some consulting to try and, you know, raise more money to, to pay some bills while I'm looking for my next job. Because at the level that I was at before I, I went to Brentford and the level I was at there, like, you know, it's, it's quite a senior level. It takes time to find your next job in the right space and stuff like that. So that's kind of what was going on. And 
then very quickly that shifted into, you know what? I'm pretty sure that everybody's going to want these things. I feel like much like at that forum, the, the whole of Europe is like dry grass right now. And it's just going to take a couple of sparks to like really take off. And, you know, I thought the sparks were going to be Brentford. It turned out the sparks were going to be Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. I'd, it's a good question about Liverpool. It's like Ian Graham was there a long time. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then somewhere along the line, when they got good, like the, the idea that like the analytics department was influential, like took hold outside but i don't think we even don't think particularly knew like early days of it like when they were probably bedding in and stuff i don't think there was a particularly widespread idea that um i'm <laughs> i remember in fact i remember one analyst who shall remain nameless uh being quite scathing about the, what they thought liverpool's uh analytics department was doing in about 2015 2016 <laughs> maybe and they uh they was just you know we we know we know quite readily at this point that you know they were uh, well advanced and uh, doing pretty pretty useful stuff. Ian things. and Michael were pretty damn good. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's but it's yeah, it's, that's that's what I mean I think when I'm talking about like, you know, to 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 us on the outside looking in, you know, which I would kind of consider myself like looking at you kind of like in in football. There were the, like I say there were these people in these departments in football that were doing stuff, but they just weren't, didn't, they didn't have the profile, uh, potentially. And I mean, that's, it's almost, you know, the whole nature of this, you know, transfers, the kind of work that you do, uh, it does link to the kind of like lineage of betting and like, um, being, you know, quiet about your edges and, you know, the things, things that you want to do to succeed. Um, yeah, no one kind of shouts too, too loudly about those things. I mean, it's interesting, obviously Moneyball was like the, the biggest kind of like, uh, you know, the biggest, movement in the whole of kind of like data of sports but also it's like look his his relatively laid bare an entire like plan of how you can like integrate uh, data and sports uh, that that probably got as big as anything you know as, as anything in the space ever did so so i had two eras of real prolific content generation the first one was like in the early days of stats bomb that first sort of year and a half like i was producing stuff all the time then i got hired by brentford and the second one was on the other side of the brentford one where i was like well i have to explain to people why we matter i have to take a bat to a lot of the people that are pushing back against these ideas and just prove them wrong over and over again and i need to publicize a lot of the the good concepts and ideas that we know have had success uh, so that other people understand that they want to have this type of stuff too, or that it's super useful to them. And so my second era um, is is far more informed and and sometimes a bit angrier, <laughs> which I'll admit, um, just about like how wrong people were on the current uh, status quo. And in, in some cases, it was it was honestly bludgeoning people that had bad ideas with good ideas and hey you're wrong and this is why you're wrong and i'm going to keep telling you this until you everybody else actually believes me and you look like you know how wrong you are um it's not the best way to to sort of run things uh although sometimes you really have to take a stand in order to enact change and i think that you know you look at that 2016 period when came back out in 2017 and you know, that, that era when we're going from, you know, uh, a sparky website into a business is a lot of sort of proof in the pudding. And you know, a lot of people didn't still don't know that that stuff exists, right? They, the kids that are coming up, they don't. But there's a ton of content on StatsBomb that never went away. And it's a lot of good ideas that have maintained for a long time. 
uh, I didn't always make the, the best friends, especially in the, the mainstream media of this stuff. And in some cases in, in the actual teams that we would go on to work with, although most of the people that disagreed with us got fired, but, um, it was, uh, it was pretty noisy. And to uh, <laughs> see that the, the, the early days of starch bomb and certainly like certainly part of my, part of the energy that I took into write my writing stuff was as much as anything, even if it wasn't explicitly stated at any, at, given point sometimes it would be sometimes it wouldn't but yeah proving the kind of the accepted knowledge the lazy narratives wrong be it you know from elements of the media that were you know potentially a little bit trite with their analysis and and there there was that was that was good fun and like you know powering along by just saying like you know okay this is people seem to think this about someone and it's like it's not borne out by any kind of version of like reality that we can like look at in data and just trying to be objective and people were hugely yeah. negative on Christian Erickson when he started at Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the, that was one of the um, early articles. That, well, maybe they, I can't remember if it was early or not, but it was an article that got a good bit of traction, wasn't it? Cause it was like, actually this kid could be a bit special. Gon- um, Gonzalo Higuain, another one where people were like, yeah, whatever. He's just like a, a cast off from Real Madrid. And then there was a second phase where he was like, well, people from Spain never succeed in Italy. <laughs> Tur- yeah, turns out until he got fat, he was really good. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny to think that, you know, the, these kind of, I don't think the I just guess the kind of like the content minds are, are generating a lot these days. There's, there, there aren't the same kind of, there aren't the same kind of secrets, uh, or not even secrets, but like the hidden narratives that they used to be. I remember the one thing that I I always people don't realise this, but like I wrote an article for the Ringer somewhere along the way, the telling that Liverpool had sorted their defence out, mm-hmm. and it was they just, the, the the metrics had started moving before just before they signed Virgil Van Dijk, and then Van Dijk came in and everyone was just like, oh, he is the reason why their defence is sorted. It was like, yeah, he is. But also, they were moving in the right direction anyway, and obviously they became like seriously strong and um, uh, you know really really quite successful after that point. But I remember floating the idea that you know this was a kind of like a, a signal in the in the amongst the noise uh, to Ryan O'Hanlon, who was my editor at the time, and he was like, "You sure? You reckon Liverpool's defence isn't good?" And I was like, "Ah, I think it he's, is." He's a big fan it's too. Just, he's a big Liverpool fan, so yeah, yeah. And it's it was just it was just fun in those days to kind of like pull out these pull out these stories and try and I always wanted to be the first to say something like so I reckon this and you know not everything panned out you know you, sometimes things would revert or change but you know it was just it was just using a little bit more being a little bit more evidence-based rather than just you know whatever the hot take of the week was which you know is such a huge part of sports media it always will be and that you know not trying to take that away from it but let's have some different ideas and voices and can we improve some of these things? Yeah. Um, there were, there were some huge stances that we took, um, uh, you know, in, in hindsight anyway, uh, uh, one was about commentators and expected goals, right. And how, how wrong the commentators so often were, if you listen to their words and you translate that into sort of like probabilistic meaning, like a uh, part of, uh, hmm? I'll tell you what, I had to resist. I resist, remember, was it? Oh, I can't remember who it was. What's his name? Craig. Craig Burley? Is it Craig Burley? Burley. Having a rant, yeah. Having a rant at uh, Gab Marcotti, who's you know long time fan of the fan of the site, and uh, you know you can go back to the early days about because uh, because Gab had talked about expected goals when when a one of his buying teams went out in the semi of uh, the Champions League, and obviously you know Man City and Pep just won the Champions League, and that <laughs> obviously moments after the, like the I was like. 
Should I dig that out uh, and retweet it? All like, the all the receipts, right? All the receipts. Yeah, I just yeah. I hold all of them there. Seven or seven or eight years later. They are, like, they're well, actually you know. etched in stone onto a chip that carry around on my shoulder every fucking day. Like one of the here's another one. So we're talking about Calvin. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to talk about Miguel Delaney because he'll talk about himself more than anybody else needs to. That guy should just be starved of any sort of oxygen of attention. Not, I didn't say he should die. I just said the oxygen of attention. Um, but there was one time where I was so excited. Uh, I was going to be on uh, Five Live, uh, Radio BBC, and I, I got to go to like the actual studio uh, in, in Bristol uh, to be on Five Live, and it was with Fletch and, and Jermaine Genus. And I did not realize that I'd basically be fighting for my life on the on air. And I was so excited <laughs> to do this on like a Friday night. And this is my first experience. And wow, this is amazing. And they just tried to to pick apart everything. Genius in particular was was like fairly caustic. And then and then Fletch sort of I jumped on the back of it. And uh, and yeah, like that was that was another thing where you're just like, man, I see what we're fighting against now. And uh, um, it did not cool any bit of my passion for this. It is, it is kind of funny to think, but it was, it was, yeah. Some of some of that was was quite entertaining, and it was a bit of a battle in the early days. And yeah, it's it's almost gone the other way now. Like people, like say the kind of the anti stats brigade, like moan that there's too much, there's just too much of it now. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. But. I think that if people were clever about it, it's just like so enjoyable and easily digestible. But they haven't necessarily been that clever because it's still mostly the same media people that are just trying to adapt to a new thing that they don't have a lot of understanding about. And that's been true for a decade. Neil Atkinson, who works for the Anfield Rap, has mm. been a long time kind of uh, collaborate or whatever with us with Stats Bomb, and um, he he said something and he was, he was just like I think he said it was like having another it's another it's like you're in the pub talk, all talk all got a view and the stats is like another another person on a stool like with their view and it's just and like, honestly you know, being on a stool with those lads in Liverpool like one of the most fun times that we have in in this business uh, we we love the Anfield Rap and they've been one of the early pioneers in using this stuff and they they've been great and best accents uh, I that that's one of the the customers that bring me genuine joy. I've got Liverpool heritage. My dad's from Liverpool, so um, but it's not not. A, the only, first time I ever visited there was visiting them actually. But uh, let's carry on. Right, so st we're on just like stats on the business because like all of this, most of this has been about. Right, hang on, we the, we skipped the, an era of accents. So the podcast oh. has had three sort of significant eras. There was I, it's listed as four, but uh, Jane, uh, James has been I think the most continuous throughout the whole thing. It was me and Ben early, and Benjamin Pugsley has the most wonderful Mank accent, uh, and then it was York and Pugsley for what eighteen months, and you guys were were fabulous. Like you were a bit intermittent, mostly because of Ben. Um, <laughs> those those were actually those were actually good fun, and you know for, for the. <laughs> For the deep cuts amongst you, like me and me and Ted doing the podcast, it was nearly always like 10 a.m. Like, get on a call, <laughs> right? What we're we going to talk about? This, do it. Let's crack on. You know, we most of the time we're doing it while we, we while we've been doing the podcast has been while we've been you know working at starts from the business, so plenty to do. But the other, when I was doing it with Ben, and it was it was kind of the opposite. It was more like right, 1 a.m. <laughs> chat shit for an hour. <laughs> We better record this podcast. How, how, how many days. how many beers have you guys had at this point? <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not really. But it was it was just funny, and it was just like, oh, we better do a podcast, and then try not to ruin the. Always say this: try not to ruin the content. Any aspiring podcasters out there, don't talk about your content before the podcast. Yeah. 
because then you'll just like you won't talk about it on the podcast or you'll or you'll ruin your take so you gotta go you gotta go fresh at it or the worst ones are when we're on a schedule and we're doing this for the business and then we just the audio gets screwed and you have to do the whole thing again you're like oh my god you have to like say the the same things over again which is just pain the one the one the one time when we only ended up with your audio and i i was like how am i gonna do this and uh turned it into like an interview It was like I've interviewed uh, Ted this week. Uh, Something different, change of pace. Uh, <laughs> got, got through. So anyway, I just wanted to to say like the podcast has Fair been enough. a continual thing. People have loved it. Um, you know, it got bigger when we had the the transfer space. You know, we'd get up to like ten thousand downloads mm-hmm. a, a, an episode per then. Um, it's not huge. It's never been huge. It was yeah. I, I, it was funny. I don't. I, I've got no reference, but I don't know how many people listen to podcasts. Probably insane amounts now. But it did like hit the Apple charts a couple of times. If there was like a quiet week, like it was like transfers and all the big podcasts. This is going about five years or so. But all like all the big podcasts like didn't have an episode out. It could creep into the bottom of like the Apple sports <laughs> charts and stuff. And that was pretty good because like we didn't even have a. Well, I think we had a logo, and that was about it. And then it's just me and you. And then I'd hack it together, and people would moan about the sound quality. But it was just like it was r- pretty low-fi in the scheme of things. You guys, and, uh, you guys have always been a passionate, <laughs> high-value audience. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So stats on the business. Right. Um, yeah. Threw some money at a developer who happens to be our CTO. His name is Tom Lawrence. He was also in the analytics space uh, to to do this as like a side project uh, to build some tools, and then. Uh, Charlotte Randall joined in January of 2017, I know, because I saw her recent announcement that she had quit her job back then that came forward like as a throwback thing. Um, she's my wife and she is the chief commercial officer. Uh, she's hugely talented and has, I, I think I've described her as always has been the adult in the room when Tom and I were a bit man-childish. Uh, yeah, I've, 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 you know, having works. Because I joined late 2017 as part of the business was an early employee, and like yeah, her her influence over like you know what's happened here uh, should not be understated because it's been large. Yeah, and you know for those of you who are considering working with your spouse in the future, I, I would recommend against it simply due to the stress reasons. But uh, we have managed to to pair together to create something that we both consider to be kind of our fourth child and something particularly special. And she deserves a massive amount of credit, as does Tom. Um, you know, Tom has been here basically since day one of being a company. Um, he was for a while, he was a consultant, but, and then the first actual employee that we, we employed that was not one of the the founders of the company is Nat James, who I had mentioned that I had collaborated with on the radars. Uh, then, uh, you and you and doer and, and Nikos, and that was kind of in the consultancy space when we were doing projects for externals around, it could be like, find me a right back. It could be certainly help me replace my coach. Uh, which we did a lot, yeah, yeah, and, and so the, yeah, that was twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a long there's a long period where like obviously when I joined it was as an analyst, like and you know it's like we need someone to do the analysis kind of grind out, stuff. and I did a lot of kind of like grinding out like reports and all this kind of thing. We worked for well, we worked for all sorts of things like agencies, federations, clubs, players, and a lot of that is kind of you know not not something we can readily share about, but. There was a, a lot of consultancy that went on for a, a good few years that we, we contributed to. But again, so I, I, a lot of these things are somewhat private, so I'm not going to share too deeply on that. But like at, somewhere around this time, obviously we had data, we had tool sets, data was expensive. 
Uh, someone someone had the bright idea to uh, turn themselves into a data company. I mean, this this a wildly insane idea. Surely this this could never work. Ted, who would think of such a thing? This is very controversial. <laughs> <laughs> But it happened. It happened. <laughs> yeah. So I could kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, there, the last Optiform that I was allowed to attend, I think, <laughs> was uh, they had uh, collaborated with a company called True Media to launch OptiProvision. And that OptiProvision was like, the sketch of it was it was going to be similar to StatsBombIQ. We thought we were going to have the IQ space or maybe share it with maybe 21st Group, something like that, um, and, and building visual tools to build on top of Optus data. And when I saw that, I was like, hmm, this feels really fragile. Uh, let's investigate potentially using other data. And so we did, we looked at a bit of Scout data. We looked at Instat data, which we had like lots of. Uh, Tom did a ton of work trying to, to potentially integrate that because he had used it when he was messing around with Slavia Prague um, and, and doing consultancy for them on his own before then. And it was just so bad, so bad that we had to scrap all the insight data because it was never good enough to actually rely on showing customers and saying, Hey, well, you know, it's the data provider's fault. Like that's, that's not a good argument. Uh, when they're, no. when they're on your tools, that doesn't work. <laughs> that just completely doesn't work. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I tried to collaborate with Y scout. I was like, Hey, let us fix your data spec. Uh, let's, let's collaborate in partnership and do a joint venture or something like that. And that didn't work because they were busy actually packaging themselves to sell. Uh, and they only want to do the video side of it. Um, so uh, we had talked to Opta, I think, in the the spring one time about fixing their own data spec. And you know, some of the ideas that ended up in in the base stats bomb data weren't original. They were actually you know collaborations from people in the space. And you know, Devin Pluther had had ideas about stuff. We had had ideas. Ben Torvani, Merrick Kwiatkowski, like they they all had ideas about how do we make a better data spec, and. When we got to the end of the road with the Instat one, I was like, all right, this is absurd. We're going to have to do it ourselves. And there was a, a kid in 2016 that sent me a, a DM. And I say kid, he was quite young at the time, um, named Ali Alfakrani uh, from Egypt. He had graduated from a Boston, like a university in Boston. And he said, hey, if you ever need any, any data collected, I just moved back to Cairo. And we've got this like little group that can do some data for pretty cheap. And I was like, go away, kid. I'm busy with other stuff. Like, we've got a data provider in Opta. Leave me alone. And then somewhere in, like, maybe September of 2017, I got back to him and I was like, you know, are you still available to do that? Because, like, we have a proof of concept and I'm designing a data spec. Uh, it would be good to collaborate on this and see what happens. And so we started collaborating on just some Premier League data and to see if they could collect it. And, you know, they started doing it. It was hard, but they were talented. They were really, you know, hard workers. Those early days, like we had no fucking idea if it was, we were going to pull it off. Like it was all stressful. The deadlines were, were all wrong. We were slow. Some of it was bad, um, but we did it and it seemed to work pretty well. And we had an enhanced set of data. And now instead of being a data cost center, we could actually be a data revenue center in the business. And start to sell something that was pretty unique. And, you know, that was the acquisition of Arcom, uh, which now is just StatsBomb South. And we've been working with them for seven years, I think, something like that. Um, and those two guys are also incredibly talented, hard workers, innovative. Uh, Hesham, who is the sort of chief data officer there, like the equivalent of the chief operating officer, um, 
he has built this unbelievable logistics organization and and those guys are, are hugely instrumental in the success of, of Satsbaum. We treat them as as you know two more of the founders alongside Charlotte and Tom and myself. Uh, yeah, and I you know, just to just to big up Ali a little bit there and I totally endorse what you're saying about Hisham, but like Ali was interested Ali was interested in this. Like Ali Ali wrote like a couple of blog posts it's funny it's i think it's still buried on the internet somewhere but ali wrote a blog post post about 2014 just exploring an idea and there's one comment on that blog post and i and it's me <laughs> i wrote a comment wow on blog post. and uh and he used to dm me occasionally with ideas for like for stats bomb and such but it was, it was he was he was genuinely interested in stats bomb and followed it all so like you know he wouldn't have even you know without the blog without the kind of heritage of all that he wouldn't have even like you know rocked up in your dms and like you know said hey we're doing this thing so it all kind of you know all kind of links back to the very the very start the, you know the way that the kind of business came out of that. yeah and those, those um, guys have been incredible and, and continue to do so like ali has been the backbone of a lot of the products that actually help generate our data and and again uh, an innovator and a go-getter as you mentioned yeah and uh, yeah just yeah we can't can't uh, underestimate that contribution to you know and everyone down in Cairo to, to the success of Stats Bomb as it is because it's, it's absolutely huge. Um, let's let's move back to the site quickly because at this point, like, you know, we decided to become a data company and you fired me, uh, literally. <laughs> uh, fired me as, because uh, I was, I had an elaborate title, voluntary title, ma- managing editor of the site and then I wasn't anymore because we had an idea at that point that, um, you know, to, to do more content, to do more things on the site. And so you brought Mike Goodman Back. Again, this comes came full circle because Mike had contributed really early on to the site with a with a piece or two, I think, and then quite quickly got hired by Grantland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, had gone on to become you know really well fated within the within the, the the space. But he was available, so he came in and edited the site. Uh, and you know, we we did content all the time. Grace came on board um, then and did you know like a weekly column. And many many of the listeners here will probably subscribe to her, her newsletter now. Uh, it was good. Mo Mohammed Mohammed, who who'd written when I was on the site, used to write quite frequently, mm-hmm. and you know we just used pulled in just contributors from from all over. When Mike was on holiday, I'd write things. You know that I kind of two weeks a year, I'd moonlight as the editor once more, and uh, and this kind of thing. I, I was I was out there running into walls trying to sell things to old school <laughs> football people that didn't necessarily want to hear anything that we had to say, um, but I. Before I ever worked in the gambling space, I ran a website called StarCityGames.com, which ended up being one of the biggest Magic singles, Magic the Gathering singles vendors in the world. Uh, hugely successful business, um, and I was lucky enough to work there and, and help build their website out for for a number of years. Then I went on to edit the Magic the Gathering uh, main website for a bit, <clears throat> and I always love the idea of publishing stuff. I love publishing uh, new content. Uh, I wanted us to be, you know, a stats place that leveraged our tools to write smarter things about football. And back in that era, it didn't feel like the whole media sports space was was ending and there were no viable business models. But for us, it was sort of brand marketing around it. Um, They produced a lot of really good stuff. And, and Mike was, was sort of sitting on top of that and, and really valued his, his time on the site and always hugely respected his writing. And it was a good t- it was a good kind of showcase for our tool set as well, just to kind of like, you know, maintain our, our presence in the, you know, in the, in the, in the space, like, you know, articles were written with the vis- visuals that we were building, like the stats from IQ, which is our, um, you know, our, our main kind of, sort of software that we, uh, we, you know, 
who supplies to many, many, many clubs around the world. And he gave us a chance when we had new new visuals to kind of like talk about them and you know improve the you know level of analysis that we could do and you know just to chat about all sorts of things. So it was uh, yeah, it was interesting. I think it was definitely challenging, like you know making that much content when I'd run the site. I'd been very kind of selective about like what I put out and you know kind of did it if there was nothing over a week or two then like, you know people had come up with then didn't put anything out and put it on a daily basis was was because we were kind of doing four or five articles a week at that time it was a little bit challenging a little bit harder and you know the you know that was you know it's just it was just different to what had come before but then it got weird Ted because there was a pandemic and uh, then there was no no sport and we pivoted again and so it was like the end of 2017 we didn't know if we were going to be successful then uh paris saint germain came on board as a customer uh for stats iq prior to that we had had lafc who we helped do a little bit of consulting work to to help build the initial team there uh stuttgart bristol city uh there were a few teams that we were working with i think at the end of the first year that we launched our software we had maybe six or seven contracts uh on on the annualized team side and then 2018, you're like, oh, well, now you've got this crazy idea where you're going to become a data company. That's like even more insane. Uh, Leon were the first com uh, club to ever cut us a check for any of our work. And uh, they came on board as one of the first uh, customers of the data. And so did Barnsley. And the Barnsley one goes back to Statsbomb podcast super fan, where um, uh, our friend, evil Luke Bourne, who is going to be speaking at our, our conference, uh, which is in October, um, he got in touch with me. He's like, hey, can I introduce you to a friend of mine? I was like, yeah, anytime. It's like, all right, but you can't tell anybody about it. I was like, this is weird. It's like, yeah, you'll understand. And I get this phone call and I I, I actually, I want to get in touch with him and, and ask him if he can record it for me. Uh, it's going to be like my, my voicemail forever or something like that. Like if you, if you call me and you get my answering, like it's going to say, hi, Ted, I'm Billy Bean. And it's just like the most magical moment. You're like, holy shit, you are. You're, you're really being. So he was a minority owner at Barnsley, uh, along with uh, the son of the original owner, JP Crime. We worked together with them for a few months to, to help build the structure around what a, a smart team that is sort of Championship League One might look like. And, and now Billy owns AC Milan and also owns Toulouse, which is in Ligue 1 with, with Luke. Um, and we've kind of told the story off and on, and I, I, am, I think I'm allowed to tell these things, but that was, that was sort of a fun era around that. Um, so we're just sort of starting to hit our stride as a company, and we had to do a fundraise in order to, to keep funding new stuff because we're growing really fast and we're, we're adding competitions. And you know, in the type of business we are, which is called software as a service, you have very big upfront costs that gradually pay for themselves over time as you grow because you have to build software in order for people to want to be able to buy it. And so you can't just do it out of pure revenue and we couldn't generate enough consulting revenue off to do that. Uh, huge thanks, by the way, to uh, Matthew Lubman, and Christian Sabario, who were the two investors that believed in us first and, and two of our biggest supporters over time. So we're just like, things are fucking good, James. We're at, we're at Sloan, things seem to be going great. <laughs> it's the start of 2020, got, it's gonna be a big we've year. Got, and we've, we've had our own conference about this yeah. point. And we're doing courses, yeah. we're traveling around, traveling around doing courses. There's all sorts of other things that are going on. But yeah, <laughs> that changed because Suddenly there was nothing. Yeah, there it was, was very strange. And, and the whole football world ended and, and the world stopped. And um, we didn't know if and when football would come back until the Bundesliga started playing again. And so like we didn't know if the company was going to survive. Um, and at that point, like there was nothing to write about. Um, we, we kept people on for 
for a while, but at that point we decided that we needed to, to you know, maintain cash flow and stuff like that, as you do as a business, because you have to. Um, and so we cut the, the content side of the website uh, during the pandemic and, and we're gonna revisit it you know, at a later point. And so that's, that's why the content stopped flowing at that time, especially in the way that it did, because there was no football for a very long time. We didn't know when it would come back. Yeah. And it was, yeah. And then it was, yeah, things, things changed. And then we got quite busy, didn't we, as a business? Because like the pandemic was actually, I don't know if it was almost kind of like stop people in their tracks and they were like, okay, is that we, we can't afford to be in a situation where we can't just send our scouts out and then we've got no way of understanding players around the world. I don't know. It felt like it was, it was a bit of a kind of watershed moment where people were like, right, we do need data. We do need video. These kind of things all go hand in hand. And, and we, yeah, we experienced some really kind of fast growth during that. Period, yeah. We like tri- was, tripled was in size possibly, in about a year. <laughs> it was kind of contrary to, I don't know. I don't know what our expectations were like then. It was, um, you know, there were a few, few moving parts that came into place, uh, you know, that assisted that, but it was, yeah, it was certainly a fun time. Uh, you know, once, once the world, it didn't get back to normal. Once the world like attempted to approach normality, then, you know, suddenly data became, you know, really strong part of the menu for, for, you know, even more clubs than ever before. And I think that's it. That's it. That's probably continued even till now. Like, you know, on a, you know, weekly basis, we still get, you know, new inbounds, new interest from, uh, you know, clubs that potentially, you know, haven't got data or haven't had data up to a point and are interested in, you know, bringing it into their mix. And I think that it's worth mentioning, you know, we have like 250 teams plus that work with us now. And we've seen this work at all levels, like literally all levels from conference up. Uh, so English conference up. So the fifth league in England uh, up to the top of the Champions League. Uh, we've also seen it work dramatically across men's and women's football. And once once teams go toward data, they never go back. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, there could have a regime change where some, they, you know, clean house and some old school non-believer comes in and like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but for the most part, like smart teams never, ever go back because it's like getting your eyesight fixed so that you can see things clearly and then taking it away again. Like, why would you ever make that choice? And that, that's really what the data, the data revolution has, has been like across every sport, not just in, in football, but every single sport. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we, if we kind of like throw it back to the kind of like 10 year period, like what's changed in those 10 years, like. Something like um, something like FB ref didn't exist back then. You had like who scored and Squawker, and you know they had like somewhat limited data sets and you know advanced metrics. You know you can you can you see XG on like all sorts of sites nowadays. In those days, you know like a handful of people had XG models, and you know they maybe they were slightly different or they had slightly different ingredients. And there used to be arguments about the validity of it. The shots versus XG argument went on for ages. Yeah, I was on the wrong side of that one for a while. I was on the wrong side of expected goals because I was like sort of listening to James Grayson stuff and the hockey people. And it turns out that soccer had the right ideas and hockey was wrong. Um, it's it's, de- it's all dead interesting though because it's you know the, the heritage around all that is, is quite extensive. And yeah, pe- people probably don't realize. And I think... It, you know, you go to go back to what you were talking about earlier about the ra- early radars. Like, you know, seeing someone like Ronaldo and Messi take five, six shots a game. Like, even that basic data point. Like, how many? How often do they shoot? Like five, six times. Yeah. It's not just free kicks. It's not like they're so scarce. Like in the day, in in the day, or even to this day, anyone over four is like, okay, that's that, that's no no. One of my my yeah. notable radars that I graffitied was Harry Kane's first little bit of time at Tottenham. 
and it mm. says shot monster and yeah yeah and, and ms paint and yeah they're they're a lot oh, of yeah, I, yeah i think you're right i can't remember if he was taking like four or five shots a game at mm-hmm. that point and, he, and he's and he's 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 fluctuated he's obviously got better and finisher as time went on but he's fluctuated i think he's settled down to about three but there was definitely an early point where he was he was just getting a lot of shots per game and it was it was still a useful flag i mean don't get me wrong that you'll get a balotelli that is having five shots per game well, you, and i was quite you, i was quite warm on him for a while you know who the like, you know who the bellwether of this one is actually so on. there was a time where i was doing um player comps and you looked at Neymar in his young days at Barcelona, and you're like, all right, this guy is one of the best young players in the world, especially as a wide forward. And then you look right next to him is some guy named Andrews Townsend. <laughs> and you're like, maybe there are signals inside of this that can teach us a little more information about what's going on here. And in fact, it was. And, and that was also like a fun you know, Andrews Townsend and the and the force field around the <laughs> the penalty box or not the penalty box, but yeah, yeah, the penalty box. Um, yeah, there there were these little moments where you're like, ooh, I can learn more here and I can get better and uh, and it was fun and and it still was fun. Um, so yeah, like pandemic happened, business growing massively. Um, just trying to keep up and and stay sane, and I'm not sure that we always succeeded at that. <laughs> but, but our customers, for the most part, have been pretty happy with it. Uh, then started launching new data sets and new products, new courses. We taught the world about set pieces. Uh, I don't think anybody else can really claim to have done that. The set piece course is open again. It is expensive. It's designed for your your teams to pay for it. But I didn't want to not open it up. Uh, we had done set pieces for a large fee over the last couple of years uh, in exclusive agreement with uh, with some teams. And now we were not doing that this year at the moment anyway. And so wanted to open that back up for people to participate. We've been teaching about expected goals. James and I got to teach UEFA expected goals one year. That was really fun. We went to the headquarters of UEFA and, and got to do a course that on that. That was fun. <clears throat> that was fun. Switzerland, lovely country. Yeah, it was hot. Might, mightily expensive, but lakeside life was appealing, to say. <laughs> Uh, uh, so new products so started adding computer vision into our products so um, to improve the the expected goals and and improve the data quality Um, next year we will have tracking data along with our soccer data we already have tracking data in american football where we're producing that weekly with um, and it's exciting and one of the things the stats bomb has been known for uh, at least for our customers, is quality. Like we produce the best quality data in the space. And if something's wrong, you tell us about it. We get on it, we fix it. We find out why things look weird. We go back and we, we figure out that stuff. And that's because we've done the job that all of these analysts and all of these people, like even up to director of football, have done. And so we know what it's like to have to rely on somebody else's work to make decisions where your, your job is on the line. And we, we try to make sure that the quality of our data reflects that, which is not true for most of our competitors. Yeah, it's, um, the people people don't realize quite how hard data collection is, like to uh, to get it right, and you know even even small errors like you know which are inevitable. Like um, we, we we respond to them um, in a timely fashion. We've always been super kind of like conversational, have a two-way relationship with our customers. And I think that's done and done as well in this, in this industry because I don't think that's always been the case, um, you know, with with uh, organizations uh, that have supplied data. Um, that's, that's been a strength for us. And I think, you know, we, we've kind of like prided ourselves on, on you know, improving kind of year on year and, and making sure that, you know, we're as high, high quality and as responsive to 
uh, you know, requests and things as, as we can be. And it's competitive, you know, there's, there's, there's no denying it. You know, there's a lot of competitive people that work for Statsbomb and keep their eye on what's going on around the place. And, you know, we want to be the best and we want to succeed. So, you know, it's, um, it's always been a part of, uh, I mean, even that, even that goes back to, you know, I can personally say like, you know, the, even early articles, I, you know, I, I wrote you some articles for some, some companies sometimes and they were, they were, they were fine, but <laughs> you know, the articles you cared about were the ones where you really got your teeth into, um, you know, some, a, a subject that you're passionate about and you wanted to make the point and, you know, do that as well as possible. And I, people don't realize the early days of writing articles, there, there were some critical voices around the place. And if you like uh, over promise on your conclusions or, you know, to went and went off on something speculative, then, you know, you'd get kind of, you get shot down pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah, always kind of had quality as being a kind of, uh, in, you know, being kind of driven to, to do the best quality work that you could. Well, I, I, I think emphasis. I mean, it's, it's important and, and actually <clears throat> it's something that, that got brought into our, um, our conference as well. Uh, like truly chuffed that the people who speak at our conference always seem to bring their A game, and part of it is because everybody else has done it, and and that that's testament to the quality of stuff that has always appeared on the site, and you know part of the editorial mission between you and I and whomever else has done it, but also you know the people that are self motivated, they're like, look, it's going up on Statsbomb, I actually care about it, and and there were times when somebody's stuff wasn't good enough, and we'd be like, we would be critical because it wasn't stuff that we wanted to to put it on there, so the the quality and branding element has always been there. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. So I know we're getting pretty long on time and we've got a couple more topics. Um, one is about American football and the next data stuff that we're doing in soccer and um, American football one, like we, it's so much fun to explore in that space. The game is very different. The tools are very different. Um, we have been having pretty good success at producing things that teams are excited by, but it's also super competitive. All of these things are competitive, excuse me where effectively they, you know, if it's a cool thing like sport and data, then people want to do it. And so they're creating products and, um, you know, our, our job in dislodging some of the, the incumbents there has been uh, tricky, but the team feedback is good and we're just building stuff for the analysts and the coaches in the space to save them time. And, and our, we have analysts and coaches on our staff now in, um, in the American football space. So like, they're excited about the product, which means that that will get customers to the point that they're excited too, because they've done that job. Um, soccer is going to have, as I said, the tracking data. I don't want to leak too much more around that and the products coming there, because we're going to talk a lot about it at the conference in October at Wembley again. Um, and then the last thing is the gifts, James. I think we have many, many gifts. And that's another thing that we have always taken as part of our DNA. We, you know, I have funded the website out of my own pocket for a long time. Now it's funded out of the, the business's pocket. The website is different in that it doesn't produce content necessarily, but we certainly produce free data for people. Um, and we have like, why don't you go through the historic free stuff that people can access? And then we're going to talk a little bit without leaking too much information about the gifts <laughs> that you're going to get over the next month. I could, yeah, I don't know how how much of that we we can we can launch, but like yeah, we there's all sorts on there. Like Messi's entire Barcelona career in La Liga is is available, like as data as you know from the the every match he's played in, like you can you can do anything you know with that data and um, 
be really creative and when we launched it initially like people were like it was really good uh to, you know to get the best player in history's uh you know entire kind of career data set up and out there into the world um and we've done things like the world i think world cup 2018 was one of the early ones we did uh the women's women's euros uh from was it two years ago yeah i think the euros is up as well it's not something we we give away men's and women's world cup and euros data consistently and and we have done that almost every year after the fact but we give that away to people so that they can have that to work on the messy data biography is huge the invincibles we we did that and i think we finished it oh we completed it yeah yeah because we only had like i think 33 or 34 of the games because Hey, collect data. Right, yeah, sure, give us the video. Where's the From video? 2003, 2004. <laughs> it's 20 years ago. I don't uh, know. There, there was one super fan that, that hooked us up with the final videos because he had a quest to have all the videos of that year as well. So thank you so much to him. Um, <clears throat> at one point, we did this historic project with UEFA where we went back to 1996 and collected stuff, and that was huge as well. Um, so what else do we have here we've got celebration stuff james and i are both losing our voices <laughs> we've we've it's been so long since we podcast we're we've just lost our voices out of shape yeah exactly um so we have free data coming and uh how much do i want to leak uh, i think the first of them comes this week so we've always leaked things early on the podcast for our our most beloved of uh of fans you're gonna get 2015-16 data entire seasons of it why should I care about that, Ted? Uh, well, what happened in 2015-16? Uh, I think Leicester won the title. Famously. One of the weirdest title wins that, that anybody can remember. Uh, we have gone back. We have gotten the video for that. We will produce it. Everyone will be able to see it, not just for the Premier League, but you're going to get the big five leagues across Europe for that year. That sounds like a mighty fine analysis data set, Ted Knudsen. One would think. Uh, we continue to try and do that. And so if people want to use that for their historic sort of dissertations or whatever, everybody want, always wants the current season. That's fine. But like this is out there for people to be able to use. We have to make money in order to be able to give you these gifts. And so we, we kind of need to keep certain of those things to ourselves. So over the course of the next sort of month or six weeks, you will see entire league seasons of data appear in the wild uh, from that era. Uh, at the end of the Women's World Cup, we will release both the base data and the Women's World Cup data for free. I'm not going to leak the specifics around the stuff that you worked on. Um, can you describe it in vague terms for everybody? Uh, well, I'm going to write an article about a player that... Uh, Should we just call it Legends? Averaged more than five shots per game. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> there's, some, there's some Legends data that's going to come out again that's free. Um, that should be fun for everybody. And then uh, throughout the rest of the, the month, we've got uh, a lot of sort of celebratory stuff, sort of reteaching people the history because there are almost 150,000 people that follow us on Twitter these days, which seems like just an absurd amount given the, the you know, 500, 1,000, 1,500 days. Hmm. Um, and so, but many of those are new and, and hopefully we'll make some new fans along the way and you guys will learn more about the different voices that have appeared on the site and the different sort of influences that we've had. And there'll be something from Charlotte also on the site um, to talk about her journey. I, maybe even Tom will have something. Uh, so pretty excited about all of that. Um, it's been a long journey. It's been a weird journey. And I think in some cases quite controversial but at the end of the day, we've always tried to keep in mind that, you know, there is a vision that this is going to happen. The change is coming. People are going to get jobs in here. We've always been saying this. Uh, lots of people have jobs that have written for the website. 
if you produce content, there are plenty of jobs that open up every year and it's still happening because football's huge, huge, unbelievable. There's so many teams that are going to need competitive data analysts and, and people that do this job. So it's still, still growing. Uh, there'll be new skills that come on board, working with tracking data, uh, doing different types of analysis uh, that you know are still happening. There are set piece jobs that are getting posted publicly that never existed before um, off of the back of teams learning that this is an important area and we want more more to do that. And then we'll keep doing new stuff and new content and new conferences and you know, keep pushing forward because I, we're not even close to scratching the surface on what can be done. And we think that this has a very long lifespan from you know, the, the smallest of sort of semi-professional teams all the way up to the, the biggest giants in Europe. You buying Declan Rice for 100 million? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> this, is not, this is not that podcast, James. This is a different podcast. Any other thoughts on Arsenal's midfield? I am also not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. All right. Why, why don't you talk about selling Harry Kane for 70 million euros? <laughs> It's an option. It could be done. We shall see. It's not my job to decide these there things. There you go. It's not mine either. However, Tottenham bought a goalkeeper. Things are looking good. And they might sign James Madison. Oh, it's you're you're trying to draw us into the into the bad space, and I'm just trying to stay and, out of trouble. And the world of the world of Ange, I'm all for it. Come on. I do like Ange. We had Ange on lists uh, for the first Brentford manager after uh, when Dean Smith got hired. He was one of the people that we we wanted to look into. That was a long, long time ago. Um, good managers have long lifespans. Let's put it that way. I I think you should be pretty happy with that one. I am pretty happy, and uh, I really hope it works out because uh, you know it's been a choppy couple of seasons on the pitch for Tottenham so I'd be perfectly happy with the world of Ange panning out well well thank you everybody to listening to us for the last 10 years uh, it seems like a surreal phrase uh, you may hear from us from time to time we certainly will publicize when James watches a Transformers movie and rants about oh it on this space alright thanks all thank you bye, bye.